Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. At the home of Martha and Mary. Now, as they went, it's verse 38 starting. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen, chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Thank you. Thank you, Magda. Uh, before we uh, begin, just a couple of things uh, to make you aware of. Uh, there is a outline of the sermon on the back page uh, for those of you who like organization and like having an outline to follow there's one there for you also um, you'll see that my phone number is is in the bulletin it says uh, right by the uh, right underneath right underneath the message title my my bulletin is there and it says text questions and that's because when we have time uh, and Lord willing we'll have time today at the end of the the message, we have an opportunity for a little bit of interaction with the congregation. If you have any questions that you would like to ask for clarification, for example, you can ask those questions at that time. And if you're not a fan of sticking your hand up and speaking in front of people, you can just text that question to my phone. I have it here with me and, uh, and I'll read it and uh, we'll tackle it if we can. Also, uh, I love the title of this sermon. Don't just do something, sit there. But it's not mine, and I got to admit that before we begin. I stole it from a, a great preacher and teacher of preachers by the name of Haddon Robinson. Uh, he had preached a, a message uh, on this text at one point, and that was the title of his message. I just thought it was so awesome. I had to just take it. But uh, I got to give credit where credit is due. So um, every Wednesday morning at 6.30, a group of men meet at our church office at 11 King Street East to pray for an hour. And by the way, that's an open prayer meeting. You are free to attend at any time if you like. If you come once and never again, or once a month, or once a week, it's great. Love to have you. Right now, there's a, a group of about four of us, four to five to six, depending on what's going on that week, who pray together. And as you pray together, one of the interesting things that happens is as you pray together more and more you start to, to be more honest with each other about who you are. Because prayer, this is why prayer in groups is hard, okay? Real prayer is about opening yourself up and sharing the truth about who you are inside with God. And if you're praying in front of others, then you end up sharing it with others too. And that can be a little bit intimidating for people. 
But it's also a beautiful thing. So what's happening with the guys who are there is we're, we're starting to kind of share our struggles with each other and, and essentially doing what the Bible says, which is confessing our sins to one another. And at one point, I was kind of praying, and I started mentioning, in my prayer anyway, that I was, I was recently feeling anxious and agitated. That for the last couple of weeks, anyway, I've had this anxiety and this agitation inside me, and I'm not exactly sure where that was coming from. And it's, it's, it's one of these low-grade things. It's like, I, I'm not actually by nature an anxious person, and so it, it was, it's hard for me to to kind of come to grips with this, You're just having this bit of a knot in my stomach. There are some people apparently live with this like all the time. That's got to be hard. You live with this knot in your stomach. It's this low-grade anxiety. It's a little bit like the fridge in your house. And what I mean is, is the fridge in your house, it's running most of the time. You don't notice it. And then every now and then you hear your fridge running and you're like, oh, that's driving me nuts. Why is the fridge so loud? And this anxiety is like that too. It's just always there under the surface. And then every now and then it, you, you notice it and you go, what's wrong with me? And then you get agitated and grumpy with people. And I was confessing this. <laughs> it was kind of funny because as, as the prayer continued, other guys started confessing similar issues. And I was like, wow, we're, we're all struggling with the same thing. Now, this is not like a group therapy session where the pastor is unburdening all his, himself to you and you're all supposed to help me make feel better. I'll get to a point very quickly, I promise. It's funny how God works because it's, it's amazing to me how God works because a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I had chosen this passage uh, to preach to you, the congregation, on this Sunday. Reason being, uh, the school season has started up again, the school year has started up again, and, and um, a lot of businesses, uh, even though they're busy all the time, there's something about the fall where there's just this planning for the coming year, and it gets busy, and things start ramping up, and, and uh, it's certainly the beginning of the church ministry year as well. We have engaged groups starting and that kind of thing, and I don't know if, if your home is like mine. I have a bunch of kids in school, and I tell you, September hits, and it's like, crank it up, man, like scheduling, You've, your wife, or well, I shouldn't be so sexist, but in my house, I admit, it's my wife. She's got this massive calendar, and she's trying to figure out who's scheduled then and who's going there, and I've got all these meetings, and they've got to be places, and how are we going to get them where they're going to go? And it's just, you just feel like the busyness starts to increase exponentially. Are you feeling me, or is this just me? Some people are feeling me. Okay. So, so I was going to preach this sermon to you this morning for all you busy folk who are, who are dealing with your anxieties over your busyness and stuff. And, and what happened as, as, I was, as I was working with the text and praying through it and thinking and through it and, and wrestling with it, God just started just taking a chunk out of me, if I can put it that way, unmasking my idols and the roots of my own anxieties, where they were coming from, challenging my priorities, what mattered to me, and, and calling me to repentance over a bunch of stuff. And we're going to look at this passage together because this is the Word of God to all you anxious people. This is not just the Word of God to a messed up pastor this isn't just the word of God to a group of messed up guys on Wednesday mornings. This is the word of God to the messed up church, us. 
And so we're going to look at this text together and we're going to hopefully unmask a little bit of our collective idols and be challenged uh, together to listen to what God is saying to, to us in our lives. We're going to see three things. We're going to see the anxiety of Martha, the profundity of Jesus, and the tranquility of Mary. And then we're going to make a corporate application. So we're going to see the anxiety, the profundity, and the tranquility. Let's go to work. First of all, the anxiety of Martha. You read this story, and it's a very simple story. They went out. When they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. So Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and uh, they're on their way to Jerusalem, actually. And Bethany, the village that they enter, is on their, on their route. And they enter a village. And interestingly, it says, and a woman named Martha welcomed, her, welcomed him into her house. Now, many of you know that this is Martha from Mary, Martha, Lazarus, friends of Jesus. But what is significant about the wording here is that it's described as Martha's house, and she's the one who invited Jesus into her house. And that tells us a lot about Martha. Martha is quite a person. Normally, a man in, these, in this culture, the man is the head of the house, and so you'd expect the man's name, you'd expect Lazarus's name to be mentioned as the one who owns the house and as the one who welcomes uh, Jesus into the house, but it's Martha who's mentioned here, which means that this is Martha's house, which means that Martha is in charge of this household. We have a woman in charge of a household in a very, very uh, patriarchal culture where that would be very uncommon, and it means that Martha was a significant person. Martha was a take-charge kind of person. She was a very, very capable woman. She was a leader. Martha was a doer, the kind of person who, who gets things done. If you read in John chapter 11 the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, when he walks up to the tomb and he's about to lay, raise Lazarus from the dead, Martha's the one who runs up and says, mm. I don't know if you want that stone rolled away because he's been dead four days. It is going to reek. Like she's a step ahead of everybody. She's the one who thinks of that. Everybody else is just standing there going, what's he going to do? So Martha is, is a take charge kind of person who sees what needs to be done and she gets it done, okay? That's Martha. And then in verse 39, if you keep reading, it, we read that uh, Mary... She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So you have Martha working very hard in the kitchen, preparing this meal for Jesus and his disciples, like on a, on a, it's a last minute kind of thing. How many of you people, if you were hosting 13 people, they just walked into your house one day, would be like, oh, no problem. Let's just put it together. Well, this is what Martha's doing. She's whipping it together. And there's her sister, Mary, out in the living room where Jesus is waxing poetic about something amazing because it's Jesus, so everything he says is amazing. And she's sitting there looking up adoringly at Jesus in perfect tranquility, okay? Martha's hard at work. Mary's not. And the temperature in the kitchen is rising. And it's not because of the bread in the oven, okay? Martha's upset. And actually, she's somewhat rightfully upset. Because you see, again, you've got to remember the cultural situation. This is a patriarchal, patriarchal culture. A woman's job was not to sit at the feet of the rabbi and listen to him teach. That was what men did. 
Women served during that process. That's what women ought to be doing. Mary ought to have been in the kitchen working with Martha and helping Martha. And on top of that, in this culture, hospitality is the most important thing in the world. In our culture, hospitality is not all that important. But in those cultures, hospitality was huge. Your entire reputation depended upon how hospitable you were. And here's Martha working very, very hard to be an excellent host. And there's Mary just sitting around doing nothing. And so, of course, Martha sees this. She gets more and more and more and more angry. And finally, she blows a gasket. And she comes out and she doesn't go to Mary and say, get in there, she goes to Jesus. She goes to Jesus, and what does she say? It says, she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. She's mad at Jesus. She says, you don't care. You're not with my program. You're not seeing what I'm seeing. You're not backing me up here. My sister ought to be in there helping me, and you're just letting her get away with sitting at your feet, listening to your teaching while I am slaving away in the kitchen. You're not on my team. Now, look at this, okay? This is what we need to see. In verse 40, it says this. It says, Martha was distracted with much serving. What kind of serving was Martha distracted with? Cooking cleaning, hosting, all that kind of stuff. Yes. But for whom? For Jesus. She was distracted with much serving for Jesus. She's doing all of this for Him. This Christian ministry, if I can put it that way, is what was distracting her. She's so busy serving Christ, okay, that she can't be with Christ. She doesn't have time to be with Christ. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Who is Martha? Martha's the, the 20% of church people that do 80% of the work in the church. That's who Martha is. Mar Martha's on staff. She's the full-time Christian church worker. And Martha has a list, okay? Martha has a list of things that need to get done. And you list people. You're out there. I know you're out there. People who love your lists. You know what's going on here, right? Martha's got a list. She's got a task list of things that need to get done. And she's working her way through that list. And it's so satisfying when you cross stuff off your list, right? Oh, that feels good. Oh, but then when it's interrupted when something gets in the way, when something prevents you from being able to accomplish your list, oh, watch out, then the, then the claws come out, right? You become grumpy, you become cranky, you become critical. And that's precisely what happens with, with Martha. She becomes critical, critical, not just about her circumstances, she's not just lamenting the circumstances. She doesn't come up to Jesus and say, you know, <laughs> a little phone call before you showed up would have been handy. She's not saying, boy, I kind of wish this was working out a little bit differently. She's critical of people, even critical of her Lord. I'm doing all of this for you, Jesus, and you don't seem to care. What gives? What's the assumption underneath the service? 
you owe me. I'm doing all this for you. I'm working so hard for you. You owe me. And you're not paying. Does your heart work this way? Come on, be honest. You know, we prayed hard at the beginning that we would be open to receive God's word. Be honest. Doesn't your heart work this way sometimes? God, I'm doing this for you. I'm serving on this ministry team or I'm making this sacrifice uh, in my business or I'm not going, I'm, I'm saying no to drugs. I don't know. Whatever it is. And why is my life so hard? Why is this tragedy hitting me? Deep down, we live by karma. You know what karma is, right? You get what you deserve, right? And deep down, that's how our hearts work. And we, we want to believe that if we do the right things and work really hard for Jesus, he, He'll give us the life that we deserve and that we expect. He won't kill my family members with sickness. He won't let my business fall apart. He won't give me a denial when I apply to that grad school. I'm doing it all for Him. Because that's the way the world works. We think that's fair after all. Now, what does Jesus do with that? We come to point two, the profundity of Jesus. I admit, I use the word profundity partly because it is very profound what he does, but also because I needed an E for my sermon outline, right? You wanted anxiety, profundity, tranquility, and then I feel good, right? So Jesus says, here's the profundity of Jesus. Jesus reprimands Martha. He scolds her. He rebukes her, right? He's going to tell her something extremely painful, and, but understand something. He's doing this in an incredibly lovely, loving way and in love. In verse 41, it says here, the Lord answered, Martha, Martha. He doubles, okay? He, he repeats her name. And uh, it's helpful to know that, that in Semitic culture and in Semitic language, when you, when you double something, it, it's meant to reflect a very deep emotion. So when David's son Absalom dies and David finds out about it, David weeps and he says, Absalom, Absalom to express the deep emotion. Or when Jesus is making his way up to Jerusalem and he sees this city that he loves who has rejected him as savior, he, he starts weeping, it says, and he cries over the city. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have tried to shelter you under my wings as a, as a hen shelters a mother chicks, but you would not have it. And so Jesus, when he says to Martha, when he, he, when he comes to rebuke her, you need to understand, yes, Jesus is rebuking you this morning, and he's rebuked me all week long, but he does it with deep, deep love, deep affection, and as much gentleness as, as he can muster in order to communicate this to us. He says to her, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And these are beautiful words that he chooses. Anxious, literally what anxious means is you are being torn apart because you're being pulled in many different directions. 
That's what her anxiety is like. It's, she's, she's got so many things going on, so many priorities that matter to her. She's so busy that she's being pulled in so many different directions. And I'm, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of you are like, amen, I know what that's like. You're so busy. You have so many things you have to remember. That's why you're a list keeper. It's the only way you can keep all your responsibilities straight. And she's being torn apart in many directions. And then Jesus also says that you are, you are troubled. And, and what he means by troubled is it's a, it's a very interesting word that's used to describe a boat that is capsized on stormy waters. And so it's not under its own direction anymore because it's not upright and it doesn't have its rudder in the water. It's just being beaten and battered about all over the place by the winds. Jesus says to Martha, there is a disquiet in you. You are disquieted inside. There's a storm inside of you. And all these things are pulling you in so many directions. And what's fascinating is, is Martha, on the outside, she's the person who's got it together. Right? She's the leader. She's the doer. She's that hard worker. And Jesus is saying, in the, on the inside, you're being torn apart. And Martha... It's all your fault. It's your own fault. You're lashing out at your sister, and you're lashing out at me. But it's your fault. Hear this. Martha is working hard for Jesus. She's being so active for him in the church and... Others aren't picking up the ball and helping out. And so she gets frustrated and she goes to Jesus to share her frustration. And he says, it's your fault. Why? Well, verse 42, right? Mary has chosen, oh, sorry, one thing is necessary. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. One thing is necessary, Martha. You are so busy doing stuff. And, and it's good stuff, okay? Like, they need to eat. Nobody's saying that the disciples don't need anything to eat. Of course, they eat to need, eat. But, but her grand efforts to serve Jesus with this remarkable feast was not necessary. Martha, you have so many priorities but they're the wrong ones. You're being torn up by them. She, you know, she comes to him and she says, don't you care? And he's responding with saying, uh, excuse me? Martha, I'm your Lord. Of course I care. If you have 10 things to get done, but you only have time to do, those, do three things, it's not my fault. It's yours. You brought this on yourself. I'm not so dumb as to give my children way more than they need in order to, to, to live, way more uh, responsibility and way uh, too little time. That's not my problem. That's your problem. Only one thing is necessary, Martha, and Mary chose the good portion. Other translations use uh, the phrase, what is better? And, he, and that's to get across this idea that Jesus is telling Martha, look, You've chosen the lesser 
over the greater. Mary has chosen the greater over the lesser. And what's Mary doing? What's this greater? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening to his teaching. That's better. And here's the astounding money quote for you. This is the one you want to write down. Jesus is saying that what you do with him is far more important than what you do for him. What you do with him is far more important than what you do for him. Now, when that pin dropped for me, it was like, oh, why did I just call it a pin? That for me was like a shot in the head, like a punch in the gut, like a slap across the face. You get it? It was really jarring. It, it undermined me like you wouldn't believe. Here, think about this. You start a church, right? People come and they visit and they check out the church or you go to functions and people come to you and they ask you about your church and they say, what? so what are you doing? So what do you guys got going on? And you go, um, we have a prayer group. And you feel this internal pressure, okay, to get active, man, so that when someone says, so what kind of programs do you offer? You got something to say. You got something to sell. What do you got for kids? What do you got for adults? What do you got, what do you got going on? What do you got going on in outreach? You're a missional church, right? What does it mean to be missional? How are you being missional in town? And you say, well, I'll get back to you. And then you run to your office in your study and you start making lists. We've got to start this ministry. And if we start that ministry, if we get people to do that, yeah, then we've got something happening. We've got something going on. Or how about this, okay? You are one of those active folks. That's what you're like. And it's not a bad thing. You're very involved. You're doing stuff. And then here's Sam. Sam doesn't participate in a lot of things. Sam comes to worship services maybe goes to engage groups maybe, but Sam doesn't sign up to go clean up Coots Paradise. Sam doesn't sign up to, you know, ride bikes to help the homeless or any of this kind of stuff that you might do. Sam doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. And so you assume, you look at Sam and you think, oh, that's Sam. Is he really all that committed? Does he really love Jesus? Little do you know that for the past 25 years, Sam has spent an hour every day in Bible and prayer meeting, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him and responding and interceding for you and all the work that you're doing. And nobody knows it, but you judge Sam, okay? I judge Sam. Look, many of you are family people, right? You have kids and they're in school and they're in sports and they're in music and they're in youth group and then You've got service stuff for them, and, and you just don't have time to sit as a family and read the Bible or pray together. All those things are so good, but you've become so busy with all those things. And listen, raising your family is important. It's, you know... Exposing your kids to be able to do sports and music and all the things they learn from that. It's extremely important. But you have crowded out Jesus by filling yourself up with serving Jesus. How, how crazy is that? 
or you're too busy to participate in an engaged group, or you're too busy to participate in a prayer group. These are all things where you get to actually sit at the feet of Jesus for a while, but you just, you got so much going on. You can't do this. And Jesus says to you, okay, remember I, I asked you to be willing to listen to him. He says, you've chosen wrong. Paul, you're, you're, you're working so hard at having something to show for your efforts in planting a church that you're choosing wrong. And here's why. Here's why, okay? Jesus doesn't need you. Jesus didn't come into this world to recruit volunteers. Jesus came into this world to show you the deep and profound love that he and his father have for you that you have rejected and turned your back on and have decided to fill your life with all kinds of other things that will not satisfy. And, and then when we wouldn't listen, he gave the ultimate display of that when he went to that cross and he hung there and he died in the place for your rebellion and for your sin and he took it all on himself. Why? So that you could have a deep and profound, intimate relationship with your creator and your redeemer. That's why he came. And when you are so busy off raising your family or building your business or planting your church that you don't have time to minister, to listen to his word or, or be intimate with him in prayer, you are missing the boat. I, it just like, you know, it's one of these things. You're probably all sitting here going, yeah, I know, but we know, but we don't know, you know? Mary got it. That's the thing. Mary got it. Point three, Mary's tranquility. She's at Jesus' feet listening. That's what it says. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away for her, from her. Sorry. What does that mean that she's at Jesus' feet listening to him? Well, in the Bible, when you sit at someone's feet, that means you submit yourself to their authority. That's what it means. And that means you focus on them and you obey them, right? You focus on them. Not a five-minute inspirational. You know those, <laughs> if you have this, please don't punch me after church, but you know those, uh, those, those calendars that you put in your, in your bathroom? They're the rip-off calendars, right? And the, it's got the inspirational text and saying for the day. That's like, that's like popping a Clorettes or something, a religious uh, candy, clunk, oh, inspirational thought for the day, and off we go. That's not what Mary's doing. Sometimes that's what our devotional life amounts to, and our tendency has been to say, well, in this busy world, that's better than nothing. I'm not sure that's true. Actually, I'm not sure that's true. Because what we do is we fool ourselves into thinking that candy is nourishment. High crash, right? You know, all you parents, when you watch your kid have their sugar crash, boom, right? They're all like, blah, and then they're nothing. And that's what these things are. 
Mary doesn't take a, have a spiritual like sort of sugar rush and high. She sits at his feet and she focuses on him. And this is a problem today. Look, did you know in poll after poll after poll right now, when Christians are asked, do you attend church regularly? Many of them say yes. But the definition of regular church attendance has gone from 30, 40 years ago to two to three times a week to two times a month. Regular church attendance, this is church attendance, is now considered regular at twice a month. 40 years ago, it was considered two to three times a week. This is a problem for us, right? Um, what was my point? If you want a meaning relationship, meaningful relationship, you've got to put in time, right? If you've ever been dating, you know that. You need to, to spend focused time on that person. And the same is with Jesus. When you don't connect with him regularly, when you're not in the word, when you're not in fellowship and in worship and these kinds of things, you start to drift apart from him. That's focus. Second of all, obedience. What do I mean by that? Uh, oftentimes, we, we, we relate to Jesus like we relate, like he's our physiotherapist. I don't know if you've ever had to go to a physiotherapist. I've gone a bunch of times. And this is how it goes to a physiotherapist. You meet them. They diagnose your problem. They recommend your treatment. And then you ignore them. And you go home and you say, my shoulder still hurts. That physiotherapist is useless. I got to go find another one. But when, when Mary sits at Jesus' feet, Jesus is not her physiotherapist. Jesus is her Lord. And he diagnoses our problem. He recommends the treatment. And maybe even right now, you're listening to this message and you are arguing with me or trying to excuse why your situation is a little bit different or, oh, preachers, this is the thing with preachers. They don't understand life in the real world, right? Preachers, they get to spend hours just sitting at the feet of Jesus and not having the rest of, like, like living like the rest of us people who've got to put food on the table. Maybe that's true. If it is true, then I am even more guilty than you because I don't sit at the feet of Jesus the way I should. You know, in John chapter 12, there's another feast, and Mary walks in, and she takes this jar of perfume, and she anoints Jesus' feet with it, fills the whole room with this perfume. Very, very expensive jar of perfume. And Judas, he's like offended. That money should have gone to the poor and all this kind of stuff. And everybody else is just baffled. Like, what is she doing? And Jesus says to the people in the room, he says, she's preparing me for burial. Mary knew what Jesus was all about, what he came to do. The disciples, that's John 12. John 13 through 17, Jesus sits down with his disciples and he explains everything in detail, why he came, what's about to happen, why he's going to die, that he's going to be raised on the third day, that he's going to leave and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He explains it all to them. Then off to the garden they go. The arrest is about to happen. Peter pulls a sword. They're trying to fight him off. They don't understand a thing because they're not listening. Mary was listening, and so she understood what he was all about. 
She knew him intimately because she submitted to his teaching. And that, Jesus says, will not be taken away from her. What does that mean? It will not be taken away from her. What is he talking about? He's talking about himself. Listen. All you're doing, all your activity, all your service, and mine, okay? It's good. I'm not, I, this, is, this is not like the anti-serve sermon. I don't want anybody walking away from here going, woohoo, Grace Valley is a great church. You don't have to do anything there. You just have to tell them you do your devotions, and it's good. What this is, is a perspective sermon, understanding greater and lesser, understanding first order versus second order things. And these second order things, many of them so important, that the service that you do, the, 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 the commitment that you have to, your, to raising your kids and giving them experiences and volunteering at your schools or in your uh, rotary clubs or on your uh, business federation program thing or whatever, all of it, it's all good stuff. But much, much of it, you see, will end. What's the promise of the gospel? The promise of the gospel is you won't end and Jesus won't end. And you will be with one another forever. And the problems of this world, as big as they are and as necessary as it is for us to be involved in, in seeking to relieve suffering and change worldviews and all that kind of stuff, much of it will end because when Jesus returns... He puts everything right. The one thing that won't be taken is him. Application, very simple. Resist the urge to be busy for the wrong reason. Allow the spirit to search your heart to, to find out what the true motivations are behind the busyness, behind the deep activity. And soak yourself so deeply in the gospel that when you, because you're going to uncover all kinds of idols. You're going to be like me and you're going to go like, wow, I can't believe I'm planting a church and wanting it to be busy so that I can tell people when I'm at a soccer game all the stuff that's going on so that when they leave, they go, wow, that, what a church, that Grace Valley, great church, Paul, great church planter. It's all for your ego, Van and Brink. But then you get freed from that. You get freed from the grind, okay, of living through karma and being constantly mad at people and who don't fit your agenda and mad at God for not being with your program. You get freed from it. Free to just serve however he's called you and, and, and serve the people right in front of you for his glory. Simple application. <laughs> Isn't it? Let's pray. God, I'm sorry, and many of us are sorry for the ways in which we have gotten our priorities messed up. Thank you that you, you taught Mary, or sorry, you taught Martha. The next time she serves, there's none of this grumpiness. She just serves with joy and without anxiety. Teach us to prioritize rightly, to be with you so that we can serve you to realize that you came to change us, not to just, wasn't about recruiting us, it was about transforming us. And may that be the motivation for all our service, in our families, in our work, 
in our church, in our communities, wherever we are found. In Jesus we pray. Amen.